open your Bible study to lesson 13. We're coming to the, the, the we're kind of rounding up the end of our, of our study. There are 15 sessions and we're in session 13. For those of you who are here first time, let me just give you a really, really quick snapshot. This is a, a Bible study that is foundational. So what we do is we look at God's word and what God's word says about healing. There are three big ideas in this study. The first big idea, the first bedrock foundation is that it is God's will to heal. You know, so many times in my history and probably in yours, we prayed a prayer that said, God, if it be your will, but it is God's will. So we look at the Bible. We look at prophetic word. We look at Jesus when he was on this earth. We look at the time after Jesus when the, when the church was birthed in the book of Acts and then later on in the epistles. We look at what the Bible says about healing and lay a foundation, a very strong foundation, that it is God's will to heal. That's the first big idea. The second big idea is our part in receiving, which really I teach a lot on it, but I could do it in one word. Believe. Believe. Our part is believing. But we talk about kind of processes that we can go through to position ourselves to receive and to speak correctly and to develop. The biggest thing is to develop a relationship. So you know Jesus. You know his character. You know his love. And that is the, that is the foundation for believing. That's the foundation for trusting and for having faith is having a relationship with, with Father God, with Jesus and knowing the Holy Spirit. So that's the second big idea. The third big idea is where we're at now. And that is, God is good. Devil's bad. The devil's been conquered. We're going to start there with the first scripture today. But now we have dominion. We have authority. So all bad stuff basically comes from the devil. So we want to know how to exercise our authority. First of all, to know that, I never forget my friend Jen. When I went in, when I started talking to her, the day that I went to her, the first time with stage four cancer, and she said, Cindy, God did not give you cancer. It's from the enemy. So what we're teaching you now is that you have authority. You have authority as a believer. So those are the three big ideas that basically take about six months for us to cover. And we're right now in Lesson 13. So go ahead and open your Bible studies to page 84. And we're just going to start with the gist of the lesson, the lesson purpose. So last week, we talked about one of the enemy's destructive tactics, which is fear. In this lesson, we're going to look at God's word to see that he's provided us with armor to protect us from all the enemy's attack. And here's the good news. We don't have to beat or defeat Satan. Jesus already did. Isn't that good news? God has given believers authority over Satan. The purpose of this lesson is to teach you how to enforce that authority. So let's go ahead and open to Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. And as we go there, I'm, gonna st- I'm just going to take a minute to pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Father, for the amazing gift of grace, of the finished work of the cross, 
of the plan that you initiated for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. With all of our heart, we thank you. And Father, I pray tonight for revelation. I pray, Father, that you pour out light, light on your truth, and that it shines deep from within our hearts, that it is planted in our hearts and develops good, sturdy roots of truth for us to base our, our, our believing on. And I thank you for it, Father. I submit to you, Father, right now. Have your way through me, through this ministry team, through this, this evening. Have your way. You are so very welcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Colossians 1.13. We've been delivered from the authority of darkness. We no longer live under Satan's control or dominion. In fact... Our roles have been reversed. Love that one. Before Jesus, before Jesus died for us and provided redemption, the enemy did have dominion. Jesus defeated the enemy, gave us dominion. So our roles have been reversed. The enemy has no dominion over us. We have dominion over the enemy. Good news. Colossians 1.13. The Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. He won it for us. End of story. It's done. So where have we been delivered from, according to the scripture? Yeah, we've been delivered from the control of the enemy. We've been delivered out of darkness and into the light. We've been delivered out of the dominion. The word dominion means supreme authority. We've been delivered out of the supreme authority of darkness. And we've been transferred. Where have we we been transferred into? Yes. The kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. Stop and think about that for a minute. How many of us have said, you know, God, I want to live my life in such a way that I will be assured of being a part of the kingdom of heaven. Have you said that or thought that? You are. You are part of the kingdom of heaven now. The kingdom of heaven begins the minute that you've received Jesus as your Savior. That's when you begin your eternal life. Now, yes, when we are passed from this life into the next life, we'll be face-to-face with Jesus. But you are already in that, pl- in that place of living your eternal life and the benefits. So we've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now. Now. We are in that kingdom with the inheritance that comes with it. What is an inheritance? What you're given when somebody dies. So Jesus died. We received his inheritance. And this is the inheritance. The kingdom of God, including the benefits, including healing. That's good news. Turn to the next chapter in Colossians, chapter 2, starting with verse 14. 
having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note bond with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus canceled the note, the bond note. That was the law. That was the, the, the time when the enemy did have authority. This note with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to his cross. That scripture right there, verse 14, is the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament with the sacrificial system, with the law, with the system of the law, and the New Testament with the law of grace with the the law of life, sin and death no longer reign. Love, the power of love, grace reigns. And verse 15 tells what happens as a result of that New Testament. Verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. Jesus disarmed the enemy. He triumphed over the enemy in him through his sacrifice, through the sacrifice of the perfect, unblemished lamb of God and the death that he died on the cross. He disarmed the enemy. And you've heard, if you've been here long, you've heard me say it, but I've got to say it again because it's good. He disarmed and he defeated the enemy, picture this, has no arms, no feet. <laughs> picture that when he's attacking you. <laughs> you can't do anything to me. Disarmed and defeated. Amen, amen, amen. He was stripped of his dominion. He was stripped of his dominion over those, over those who are sons and daughters of the living God. That's the qualifier right there. If you are a son or a daughter of God, then you have dominion over the enemy. You do not have dominion if you're not a son or daughter because you don't have the inheritance. As, as you've been transferred into that new kingdom, you have become the adopted child of Father God. And as the adopted child of Father God, you have the inheritance, including dominion. Would you turn with me to Matthew? Chapter 7. We're talking about our authority as believers. Matthew 7. Does anybody have a red letter Bible where Jesus' words are in red? Can I borrow it for just a sec? Oh. Does anybody have a, like an old fashioned one? <laughs> Can I borrow it for a sec? <laughs> The reason I want to show you this, <laughs> turn to chapter 5. Well, I'm going to turn to chapter 5. You probably won't be able to see it very well. But this is chapter 5, Matthew. And the first two verses are, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Okay, this is the, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is chapter 5. I just read two sentences in black, and now it's red. This is chapter 5. Chapter 5. It moves on to chapter 6. Chapter 7. It's all red. Chapter 5. 
chapter 6, chapter 7, all read. Then the very two last verses are what's up here. I'll give you your Bible back in just a sec. And it says, and let me get my version here. Um, When when Jesus had finished these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were astonished and overwhelmed with bewildered bewildered wonder at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had and was authority, and not as did the scribes. So Jesus had just taught this Sermon on the Mount, three chapters of the Bible, Teaching after teaching, all kinds of nuggets of truth. And at the very end of that teaching, the Bible says that the people were awed. They were in awe of Jesus. Why? What? He taught with authority. He taught with authority, not like the scribes did. Now, the scribes were those who were supposed to bring the word to the people. But Jesus was different. He taught differently. And it's not just that he taught differently. It's because he had authority. He taught with authority. We're talking today about authority of the believers. The definition of authority, it's in your book. The word authority, and this is from the the concordance, taking the the original word, the original Greek word, which is, is exousia, and this is what it means. The power of influence or right privilege. The right to exercise power. It must, it must be obeyed or submitted to by others. The ability or strength with which one is endued, whether, which he either possesses or exercises. Well, that totally makes sense. It's Jesus. Of course he has authority. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He is now in his ministry Miracles and signs and wonders are happening. Of course he has authority. But let's look at the next verse. Go to Luke chapter 9, please. This is where it really gets yummy. Verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And I'm going to go down to verse 6. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everyone. So Jesus gave his 12 apostles power and authority. The word power is dunamis, miracle working power. The word authority is exousia, that word that we just read. Right influence and privilege. It must be submitted to and obeyed. The right to exercise power. They had power and authority. And what did Jesus tell them to do with that power and authority? Heal. He said to cast out demons and to heal. He said... He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he told them to preach the word. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Remember, we've been transferred into the kingdom of God. 
He said, tell them about that. Tell them about the kingdom of God and preach to them. Tell them about, about what I'm telling you and, and heal the sick. And they did. Now go to Luke chapter 10. Were the apostles perfect? Tell me one that wasn't. Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. He first, he said, Jesus, I will do anything for you. And the very next chapter, he is cursing. He is literally, that's what it says in the Bible. He not only denied Jesus, he not only denied his um, relationship with Jesus, but the third time that they asked, he started cursing. His language was, you know, how many of you have done that, even though you're Christians, right? We've all probably all been there. Was there any other apostles that weren't perfect? Yeah. Matthew was a tax collector. One of the lowest of lowest of professions for a good reason. They weren't even allowed in the church. They weren't perfect. But Jesus gave them power and authority to go out and preach his word and to heal the sick, to cast out demons to heal the sick. Now look at verse, or chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. I'm going to go to verse 9, and this is what he told them. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. There we go again. He's telling them, tell about my kingdom. Heal the sick. And I'm going to go to verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. So now he sends 70, two by two, to go before him. He's on his ministry. He's moving all over and teaching and preaching all over. But he says, you go first. You prepare them, prepare the way. Teach about the kingdom of God. Heal the sick. He says, and then they came back filled with joy, in awe, because it worked. Because it worked. They said, even the demons are subject to us. Remember, that's what authority is. That when you exercise authority, that that whom you are exercising your authority over must obey and be subject to you. The demons, the sickness, was subject to the 70. And Jesus said... You have power and authority. I give you, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That is biblically, biblical language for the demonic. And over all the... Do you think sickness is demonic? Yeah. All, All the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This is before he even died on the cross for us. Before his blood completely destroyed the works of the enemy. The 70, the 12 apostles had 
the same authority. That word authority is the exact same biblical word, the exact same Greek word, exousia. They had the same authority as did Jesus. The authority of influence, the power of influence and right privilege, the right to exercise power that must be submitted or obeyed by others, and the ability or strength with which one is endued, which he either possesses or exercises. We have that same authority. As believers, we have that same authority. It has been transferred to us. In, and I'm not going to turn there right now, but you can turn there. The, the very last chapter in Mark is the Great Commission. And he says, go, lay hands on the sick. Believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. He said they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. He gives a whole commission of things that believers will do. Well, he couldn't do that without his authority and his power. So how can we have that authority This is number eight in the middle of the page, 85. How can we have that same authority? It's because we are the children of God. And we have inherited his authority through Jesus. We have inherited that same authority We are his adopted children. We are Father God's adopted children, and we have that authority. Is that good news? Yes. Okay. The next big idea. God's promises are guaranteed, but not automatic. God's promises are ours. They're ours as believers But unless we exercise our authority, we probably won't get them. That's why I'm saying they're not automatic. We have have a part to play. They're guaranteed. His promises are our truth. But in order to to receive and in order to, to have dominion, the dominion that we now have, the authority that we now have, we have a part to play. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So would you turn now to Ephesians 6. And if you have a ribbon or if you got an iPad, if you can put a bookmark there or something, we're going to be flipping back and forth. We're going to stay in Ephesians 6, but we're going to be going back and forth to some other scriptures as well. So Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord... Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. Put on the whole armor, the armor of a heavy heavy armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Today we're talking about authority, authority over the enemy, the authority of the believer over the yuck of the world. So according to this, first the first scripture up here, What is our part in remaining strong? Yes, be drawn to him. Be empowered through your union with him. 
big deal. I'll never forget when Jenny said, spend time with God. I had no idea. Those five words, spend time, four words, spend time with God. I never knew how that would change my life. I didn't have a walk with God. I had a church with God once a week, but I didn't have a walk with him and a personal relationship with him when I was diagnosed with cancer. When I came into union and communion with him, he gave me strength, supernatural strength. That's what happens when you, when you come into his, his presence. He empowers you. Draw your strength from him. That strength which his boundless might provides. If you're feeling puny, that's the way to get it. Draw your strength from him. You don't need to be a weightlifter in faith. Draw your strength from him. He does it. You don't have to be a bodybuilder. All you need to do is spend time with him. Be in his presence. How do we stand against the strategies and deceits of the devil according to this? Successfully. How do we successfully stand against the strategies and the deceits of the devil? Spend time with them. And what does it talk about? Putting on the armor. Today we're going to be talking about the armor of God. The armor. And notice it says, how do you successfully stand against the deceits of the enemy? It's by putting on his whole armor. By putting on and actively using all of the armor. Let's look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood... The fight that you're fighting isn't against a disease. It's not against arthritis. It's not against back issues. It's not against cancer. It's not against Crohn's. But it's against the the demonic. God doesn't do bad stuff. It's against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age. It's against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our bodies are the temple of God. And if there's yuck in there, there's something that is uh, a spiritual host of wickedness in a heavenly place. I remember again when I was fighting cancer, one thing that I would speak over my body over and over and over, I would speak to my body and I'd say, this body is the temple of the living God. This body is a holy place. Jesus resides in this temple. Cancer, you have no right in there. You're dark. God is light. Light displaces dark, so go. And I would literally speak to my body like that and say, no, you have no right in my body. I take authority over you. And I say, light be. Health be. Darkness, go. Sickness, go. making sure I'm not missing anything. Okay, would you turn with me to Ephesians, or you're already there, Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. So what are we 
to do? What does the scripture give us directions to do as we're positioning ourselves? Put on the armor, resist the enemy, and stand. Yeah, put on your armor, put on your spiritual armor. We're going to talk about what that is tonight. Resist the enemy and stand your ground and then keep standing. Put on your armor, resist the enemy, stand your ground and keep standing. Keep standing. Okay. So what we're going to be doing now is we're going to be looking at the armor of God. We're going to be looking at this next set of scriptures and talking about each of the pieces of armor and what those look like in your life right now. When I was um, in the battle with cancer, I came across this scripture for the very first time. I was a brand new baby Christian and I had never read the Bible. I was learning. I was reading it through the season of my life for the first time in the New Testament. And I remember when I came to the scripture, I, there was no healings Bible study. There was nothing like that. And I did have a friend who I had, you know, very close to, and we, I asked her lots and lots of questions. But I didn't have anything. I remember when I read the scripture for the first time, and I read it, and it was like, oh, this is good. First time I'd ever read it. I had stage four cancer, and I was reading this, and I was like, I didn't understand it, but God was even then just putting it in my heart like, oh, Cindy, this is for you. And I would read it out loud. I would read it out loud every day and just read, okay, God, this is what you have for me. It's a treasure. Okay, 614. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So God's starting to talk about the armor. And he's, the, it talks about two different pieces in this little scripture. And the first one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So what we're going to do with each one of these pieces is we're going to talk about what it looks like today. So what is a, what is a belt? What is the purpose of a belt? Hold your pants up, especially for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he has a real problem. Sometimes he has to use suspenders. <laughs> yeah, hold your hold your your pants up. It is also something that you put your little phone thing on, right? Yeah. All of the other pieces of armor are connected to the belt. You'll see. The other, it's it's something to collect. If you're if you're a uh, uh, construction worker, you wear your tool belt, and it's got all of your stuff there, right? The belt of truth is the truth, the word of God, staying surrounded, keeping yourself surrounded, surrounding yourself with the word, with the truth, with the word. That's the foundation for everything else. As we talk about the, the rest of the armor, the foundation is to be surrounded by God's truth. Keep your ribbon in your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 1. The Word of God. John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. 
And the word was God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the culmination of all of the premises. Jesus is the culmination. And when we keep his truth, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of his finished work, the truth of his love, the truth of everything that he came to, to live and to die for, if we, as we keep his truth in front of us, we're keeping surrounded by the truth verse 14 again says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so the belt of truth keep the word of god surrounding you the word if you're in need of healing the word that you're surrounded with is word about healing If you need um, uh, healing in your marriage, the word that you would surround yourself with are words of God's promises about relationships and marriage. If you're concerned about your children and you're praying for them, then the word that you surround yourself is the word about parenting and children and God's promises in regards to that. So surround yourself with his truth. The next piece of armor, oh, let's, let's just review this again. So we already basically talked about that. What does the word say about your situation? Keep yourself surrounded with his word in regards to that situation. Go ahead and to the next one. This is the same scripture. It had another piece of armor in it. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this is the second piece of armor. Think about our soldiers or our police force. What do they use for protection? Kevlar. Mm -hmm. They use bulletproof vests. What is the purpose of the bulletproof Kevlar vest? Stop a bullet. Protect their important parts, their vital organs. Is it just here? What about here? Yeah, it protects them front and back and all around. It protects them from bullets. They can get shot and not killed. That's the purpose of the vest. The Bible says that part of our armor is the breastplate of righteousness. And the place of the breast, the purpose of the breastplate of righteousness is for us to consistently and constantly know that you are righteous because of Jesus. To have that firm foundation that nothing can get in there and say you're not righteous. Nothing can get in there and say you're not worthy or you're condemned. 
That's a lie. That's like a bullet of the enemy trying to get in and destroy you. But that's a lie. And your breastplate of righteousness says, no, you are righteous. And it keeps you strong knowing that you are righteous. Would you turn with me to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21? 2 Corinthians 5.21. You are righteous. Oh, my goodness. If you want to do a word study, look up the word righteousness in the New Testament in a concordance. Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after scripture, after scripture, after scripture, talking about Jesus providing righteousness for you. I looked this up this week in the book of Romans. I didn't count. I bet 50 times in one book. It talks about our righteousness through Jesus. Um, Corinthians 5.21 says, maybe, I'm in 1 Corinthians. There weren't that many verses. This is why you should use an iPad or iPad. Okay. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the reason that we can be in that position of righteousness isn't because we're good. It's because Jesus was God. It's because Jesus, we had sin on us, but we don't anymore because of Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might... It was a trade. It was a trade. We got Jesus' righteousness. He took care of our sin. We're righteous. And that breastplate of righteousness is so critical to know that that's who you are. Because you won't say, I don't deserve healing God. I'm not good enough. If you know you're righteous. If you know you're righteous, you'll say, God, thank you. Thank you for that gift of healing. Thank you. I receive it. We're talking about healing. We're talking about being in a place to receive it. And part of that being in a place to receive it is knowing you are righteous through Jesus. That's a good scripture to write on a card And read it out loud until you know it in your heart. Because it sounds too good to be true. How many of you have had a scripture and you've read it and you said, Oh, God, that's just too good to be true. Has that ever happened? I know it's happened to me. Those are the ones you want to just read because it's true. (laughs) Whether you feel it's true or not, it's true. So read it and just soak in it. Okay. Ephesians 6.15. We're going to the next one. Yes. Oh, thank you, honey. This is just a review. The breastplate of righteousness. You are righteous. You are the righteousness of God because of Jesus, your Savior. Okay, now verse 15. And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. So now it's talking about what we wear on our feet. It's talking about shodding your feet or putting on your feet 
the gospel of peace. And it talks about, we're going to talk about the gospel of peace in just a minute, but it talks about how this prepares us. It talks about how it gives us firm-footed stability when we're facing the enemy. How it, we are in a place of promptness and readiness. Promptness and readiness and firm-footed stability. Let's talk for just a minute before we go to what the gospel of peace is and talk about our soldiers. What do they need to wear on their feet? Boots. In order to protect themselves and to be able to do what they need to do. They wear heavy, strong leather, yeah, steel-toed, yeah, boots. The gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. The reason that we have peace when we're in the midst of a, a, a battle is because of our confidence in God. That's the only way you can have peace in the midst of a battle. It's because you're confident in him and in his word. And the reason you can be confident in him and his word is because of the relationship you have with him. And as you do, as you have confidence and assurance in the gospel, peace is a result. I was just praying for a friend this morning, praying with a friend this morning. And the prayer that we prayed had to do with having hearts and minds guarded by his peace. That is the result of having confidence in him and trusting him, knowing his peace. That's the result of praying the word. That's the result of, of relationship with him. And we're going right back to the, the word made flesh, Jesus When we know Jesus, when we know the gospel, when we know his truth and his promises, peace is a result based on the assurance we have in him. That goes, that's that scripture in Hebrews 11, 1 that says, um, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the groundwork of what we hope for. And the reason we can hope, the reason we can have hope is because we're fully persuaded of the gospel, of the truth, the gospel of peace. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 15? Romans 10, we're talking about the gospel of peace. Hmm. Verse 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. This is talking about the person who saved. This scripture is all, this whole chapter is about salvation. It's about salvation for the people of Israel. It's about salvation for you and for me. And it talks about the gospel of peace and sharing the gospel of peace. As you walk through this journey, oh boy, people are going to see it all over you. They're going to see that gospel of peace on you. 
I see it on you. I see it on you. Leslie, oh my goodness, such a new person since you've started to feed on his word. I see peace on you based on the gospel, based on the promises. It's amazing. I see it in so many of you. I have to tell you a, a, a funny story. Maybe it won't be to you, but it is to me. I got an email today from somebody who I met years ago in Jamaica. Uh, I, I, I have to tell the story or else it won't, be, it won't make sense. It's kind of funny. Um, this is a couple. We used to go to Jamaica every year. We haven't gone in many years because circumstances have changed. But at that time, we went every year. We went for 13 years in a row. And we met a lot of couples because we went to the same resort. So we met a lot of couples, and we saw them year after year after year. Well, this particular couple were, were an older couple, older than us, and they were really wild. <laughs> I remember one evening <laughs> where there's piano bar. Can't, you can't believe I'm telling this story, can you? <laughs> And this woman was on the piano <laughs> dancing. And, um, and it was just really a wild scene. Okay. So fast forward a couple years. I am now healed. I'm saved. I'm healed. I'm in a way different place than I was that, that day. And I went to an Easter morning service in this little chapel on the resort grounds. And there is this big black pastor who was preaching the word it was awesome and i have no idea why but he asked he asked a question about testimonies or something i don't remember how it came to be but i told him about my healing at this easter sunday service well that same woman who was dancing on the piano was at that service and unbeknownst to me she came to me later her that man that she was with um uh, his mother had cancer and she came to me and talked to me about it and I gave her I don't know why but I had a copy of my book gave her a copy of my book and I prayed with her for her mother-in-law actually it wasn't her mother-in-law because they weren't married for her significant other's mother so fast forward years today I got an email from her and she she I won't go into too much detail, but she did say that her mother-in-law is still alive and well. She did say that now she's married to this gentleman. And, and she just wanted to know how we were doing. And she was just remembering. Now, this is many years later. Friends, the reason I said all that is because it's the gospel of peace. The armor that I was wearing in Jamaica, in that little church that spoke to that woman loud enough that she emailed me today was the gospel of peace. And that same gospel of peace is your choice to wear. But it is a choice. You can also wear, wear you know, a, a robe of despair and gloom and doom. You can wear the gospel of peace and be a light to others. And it says... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Oh, God is amazing. And I see you guys doing that. Okay. So, 
Stand your ground in peace with assurance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to the next scripture. Ephesians 6, 16. Lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one. So now we're talking about the shield of faith. So what is the purpose of a shield? Protection. Mm-hmm. What happens if, you're, if uh, an arrow or a bullet were to hit a shield? It would bounce off. It would be deflected. Okay? So the shield of faith deflects the enemy's arrows. I have a little note written here that I just have to share with you because it's a good one. It says, the devil has no power to destroy you. He gets you to destroy yourself by agreeing with him. Isn't that good? Yeah. So when those uh, arrows come, when those uh, 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 little darts come or whatever, the shield of faith is what causes them to be deflected. That shield of faith is your faith that has been built up. Your faith that is growing. You have faith. That's a given. As a believer, you have faith. But that faith, it says in the Bible, there's examples of great faith. And there's examples of weak faith. I want to be the great faith one. I want to tell you an example. I remember a specific example. And Kathy, I was telling you a little bit about this last night. And it was in the midst of my journey. And I had uh, a stage four report. And then I came to know Jesus and started seeking him. And as I was seeking him, I was feeding on his word. I was um, speaking. I was taking the medicine of his word. So I had healing scriptures that I was speaking out loud. And, and those same scriptures that seemed too good to be true, like a fairy tale at the beginning, started to grow deep and deeper and deeper in my heart until they were deep. And I believed with all my heart God's promises of healing. And uh, so it was about a month after, maybe six weeks after my, uh, my, my um, salvation, I had a second PET scan. I had a first PET scan at the beginning that was very bad news, and then I had the second PET scan. Before I had the second PET scan, I had specifically talked to Father God and asked him a couple of things. And one was for wisdom. The Bible says, ask for wisdom, and he will give it to you liberally. And I had also been believing and declaring a good report. So I had the second PET scan, and... I had a good shield of faith built up. I didn't know any of this then, but looking back, I see it. But the enemy did the fiery dart thing. And remember, it's all, um, it's all oppression. Oppression means it's illegal. He doesn't have the right. He's been disarmed and defeated. But illegally, he was trying to shoot some darts at me. And the first one was that the PET scan, I was, wasn't planning on getting the results that day. Typically, with all of the other tests I had had, I had about a five-day waiting period between the test and the results. So I wasn't expecting the results. As soon as I got done with the PET scan, they called me back in to get the results. So that took me off guard. That was the first dart. The second dart was, got a bad report. And when I walked in, the technician said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Cox, but this PET scan confirms the first PET scan, that there was activity of cancer in the first PET scan, there's still activity of cancer in the second PET scan. But I had spoken over my body. I had 
declared a good report and I had talked to God and said, give me wisdom. And he did. The first thing that happened was the fear tried to attack me and just take my guts and turn them inside out. But as soon as that happened, it undid. It just loosened right up and God gave me wisdom to speak differently, to ask different kinds of questions. I know it was the Holy Spirit. I know it was God giving me that wisdom that I had asked for. And Kent and I sat in that room and started asking questions about the PET scan, about the test, about what she saw on it. Next thing I, she did was she took us to the computer screen and showed me my body on the screen with the PET scan results on it and started to explain it to me. I'm not going to go into great detail, but what I will tell you is that from the discussion that we had with her, we walked out of that office believing and knowing that the degree of cancer was less than it was on the first PET scan. I didn't have the documentation for that because one was done at U of M and one was done at Carmanos. But I believed it with all my heart. And then I went home and I opened my Bible and God gave me a rhema word. It was Philippians 1 verse 6, which says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. And then in verse 12, it says, and the, the purpose or whatever, I, I'm paraphrasing, is that my gospel will be advanced. I'm advancing as gospel, guys. <laughs> Every chance I get, I'm advancing as gospel. I walked out with a good report. I had wisdom. And I moved ahead. Because of the shield of faith, those arrows were deflected. The enemy was trying to get me, but those arrows were deflected. I said no, and I didn't even think about what I was doing because I had the faith. I had the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Would you turn to Hebrews 12, verse 2, please? Hebrews 12, 2. <laughs> love this looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith look to Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith we're talking about faith faith is Jesus this is a note that I got from Tom. We don't have to have faith where we shouldn't, or we don't have faith in our faith. We don't need faith in our faith. That's not going to do it. We have faith in Jesus. He's the author and the completer of our faith. Take that to the bank. Huh. PJ, we were talking before class about about our part. Well, look at what Jesus did. He's the author. He wrote the book and he wrote a good ending. He didn't write a book and not end it. He's our author. He's our finisher. Look to Jesus. Don't have faith in your own faith. That's what we do. We look at, is my faith strong enough? Do I have enough faith? Am I doing enough? Am I praying the word enough? Am I, you know, am I spending enough time with God? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? That's, that's having faith in yourself. And not in Jesus. That's works. works. He nailed that to the cross. Yes, he did. 
Okay, Ephesians um, 6.17. Oh, I keep forgetting that one, don't I, honey? So the shield of faith. We deflect the enemy's onslaught as we stand firmly rooted in faith. Okay, the next verse. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit that the spirit wields, which is the word of God. So we have two more pieces of armor here. And the first one is the helmet of salvation. What is the purpose of a helmet? Yep, protect your head and your brain. Mm-hmm. Our soldiers wear, wear um, gear on their head to protect their heads. God says to put on the helmet of salvation. The word salvation in the New Testament is sozo. Yeah, sozo. It's everything, right? Salvation. Saved, healed, delivered. I've done a lot of studying on this word. It's another fun one to do a word study on. Saved, healed, and delivered. The helmet of salvation is to keep your thoughts in agreement with God and his best which is saved, healed, and delivered, which is wholeness, being well. That word sozo is often um, translated made well or made whole. It's the complete package. And our part is to keep our thoughts completely surrounded with his, his thoughts in agreement with him. And when you have other thoughts, we talked about this last week, take them captive. Take captive the enemy's junk and fill your thoughts with God's thoughts. And there's lots of ways up here to do that. Fill your mind and your time with God's word, good teaching, praise and worship music, and thoughts of healing and wholeness. Philippians 4.8 talks about this, what to fill your mind with. Okay, and the last part of this verse says, And the sword that the Spirit wields which is the word of God. The sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. Before we go into this, I'm just going to quickly just say these pieces of armor again. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The boots the, 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 that we shot our feet with the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Would you call those defensive or offensive? Defensive. They protect us, right? They protect us. What about a sword? Yes. A sword you can kill with. A sword destroys. A sword kills. And the sword of the spirit is an offensive weapon that we use to completely enforce the, the work that Jesus has done to destroy it. I was um, thinking about the words power and authority. Back in that scripture in Luke 1, when Jesus gave the apostles power and authority, as I was looking at the, the, the armor of God, it was like, this is power. <laughs> this is the bullet that kills. The sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, which is... The word of God. The word of God. Speaking the word is the way that we attack the enemy and enforce what is ours according to God's promise. 
speaking God's word. Would you turn with me to Hebrews 4.12? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Bottom line is, God's word is powerful. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God. And we use it. We use God's word. We've talked about the word throughout this, this teaching about the armor. It's powerful. So use God's word. Use God's word. So this armor that God has given us is everything that you need. Everything that you need to successfully stand, to successfully use your authority as a believer. But there's one more I'd like to look at. So go back to Ephesians, the next verse, verse 18. I don't think it's a coincidence that this verse directly follows the armor, all of the parts that you gird yourself and put on. And this is the very next verse. Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. So this scripture says, all the time, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is another um, way to say praying in tongues. And we've talked before about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've, I think the, I don't know what God's talking about because I think the last three weeks I've said, if you have any questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, come and ask one of us. Praying in the Spirit is a powerful prayer. It is a prayer that is the perf- you're praying the perfect will of God. It's a prayer to pray. When you're not quite sure how to pray, it's the perfect prayer. <laughs> praying in the Spirit is very powerful i've done teachings on on the baptism of the holy spirit that you can access if you haven't been at our you know in these classes for a bit and you want to learn more or we can talk to you there's good deep teaching about the foundation what the bible says about the baptism of the holy spirit and about the benefits of praying in tongues but the bible says right here right after it talks about the armor of god it says and Pray in the Spirit constantly. So praying in the Spirit. So today we've talked a little bit about your authority as a believer and, and how to take, take exercise that authority in so many ways according to God's Word. Again, when I first read this, it was so powerful to me, and I didn't know why. And now as I look at each of those parts, I see what I actually did. I didn't even realize I was doing in the midst of the journey that I was in. I still do those things. 